0: That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No 18+ terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
4: Boy, Mets fans, welcome to episode 204 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host Brian Salvatore, and as you may be able to hear, I'm not doing so hot. There's been a, a stomach bug flying around the Salvatore house this week that's been knocking us all out, and uh, because of that, we have an abridged show this week. Couldn't find a time for Chris and I to record because I've been ill as of my kids, so I'm sorry about that. Um, but in addition to the illness, I think this has been a really weird week for Mets fans. The, um, the Jose Fernandez thing, thing. That's dis- that sounds dismissive, you know, the loss of Jose Fernandez has been a, re- a really hard thing for a lot of Mets fans, uh, myself included, actually. I-, I didn't think if you had told me that I'd be upset when he passed, of course I would believe you, but I, I really can't believe sort of the uh, impact it made on-, on me and I think on many Mets fans. And so, you know, while it's been great to see the Mets, you know, inch closer and closer to a playoff spot, you know, there's also been this, uh, especially when they were playing the Marlins, this sort of um, realization that this isn't as important as other things, and it sounds weird, I know on a Mets podcast, but I think it's a thought that a lot of people are feeling right now, and so um, I don't feel so bad that we have a a shorter show this week, because I feel like for a lot of fans, myself included, this was kind of an odd week of baseball, but that doesn't mean we're not going to have a show, we are. Uh, so let's start off with a couple of pieces that have to do with Jose Fernandez, starting with our This weekend SNY piece from Steve Schreiber.
0: Hey, Mets fans, Steve Schreiber here, and it's time for your This weekend SNY Minute here on Amazing Avenue Audio. I'm going to keep it real short this week. Our clip is from Monday evening's game against the Marlins. Uh, Gary Keith and Ron uh, talked while... The Marlins were on the field for uh, the Jose Fernandez tribute, and they had some some really touching things to say. Um, and uh, you'll you'll hear Gary uh, kind of his, his voice kind of crack, and uh, they they all had trouble really
2: holding it in. Fans here at Marlins Park beginning to chant Jose, Jose.
4: I don't know how they're going to do it but the miami marlins are going to play a baseball game against the mets tonight i was especially struck by the poignancy of the national
3: anthem song we hear every day
4: but
0: for a young man who risked everything to be a part of this country
4: it rang especially true today you know it's um, just so wild is that the uh, the ocean ocean was his path to us and that's what Uh, He used to get that great talent that effervescent personality the guy that could have been a Transcendent kind of player in the sense that all of the old-school stuff of what you are Could have changed with him who has just played like he was 12 years old still
2: Well, it was just a beautiful ceremony Um, I'm just struck by the magnitude of the emotion out there from the players particularly the marlin players of you saw their expressions on their face and their and their eyes it's tough it's a tough day so that's all for
0: your this week in sny minute i'm steve schreiber back to amazing avenue audio Hi, this is Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio, and today I want to talk about the how the media is handling the Mets' seven three loss to the Miami Marlins from Monday night. I'm recording this early on Tuesday morning, and hopefully this conversation will not be as important because the Mets will win some win some games between when I'm recording it and when you hear it on the podcast, but I thought it was an interesting study about how the media treats narratives and how the media uh, treats a game like this when the Mets were playing a very emotional game against the Marlins. It was just a day or a day and a half after the tragic death of Jose Fernandez, who died in a boating accident on Sunday morning and what i all i was all i've been hearing starting at starting uh when the ninth inning ended last night and also this morning from media outlets like SNY and WFAN is that the Mets couldn't have possibly won this game. The Marlins needed it more. They needed it to grieve. They were on an emotional i don't want to say high, but they were Emotional about it. They were passionate about the game. Dee Gordon hit that home run because he was lifted by his feelings for Jose Fernandez or something. Look, like, it's great. It's great. Good for Miami that they are able to win this game. And certainly the the ceremonies before and after the game were really moving. But and this is coming from someone who thinks. Often the media gives too much blame for the for when the Mets lose games in a season where you're going to lose 60 games almost by default, and that even in a pennant race, games against non-competitive teams can be tough. We saw this when the Mets played the Phillies, and they could have lost a lot more than one of those games over the weekend. They were all really close and competitive. The Phillies certainly brought their bats and made it tough for the Mets, but in this case... They're giving the Mets, they're meaning the media, is giving the Mets too much of a pass because I don't think the Mets lost this game because Jose Fernandez died and the Marlins were emotional. I think they lost because Bartolo Colon, and I love Bartolo as much as the next Mets fan. I wrote in the series preview this week about how awesome he's been for the Mets, not just this year, but for the past three years, and where would they be without him, but... Mets lost because Bartolo Colon just had a dud. He gave up seven runs in fewer than three innings. He throws the ball right over the plate to D Gordon for the home run. That was right after he couldn't throw the ball over the plate when Gordon ceremoni- ceremoniously took that first pitch right-handed. Again, really, really moving gesture by D Gordon. It was. It was really it really was um, it really was meaningful seeing him do that but to miss when when he's giving up that first pitch and then to throw right over the plate when he's taking the bat seriously and that kind of set the tone for the evening but even then you come back in the second inning and give up four more runs because Colón just just did not locate his pitches effectively. And Cologne's the 43-year-old guy. He's supposed to be the rock. He's supposed to be the guy. He doesn't show a lot of emotion on the mound. He's supposed to be able to shake this stuff off. But we've seen him have games like this before. We just didn't expect it tonight because he's been so good lately. Just over the past two, three months, he's had very few of these outings. But they're still prone to come out, come up. And it came up at the wrong time on Monday night. But let's give the Mets control of their own destiny. They didn't lose this game because of what happened with Fernandez. They lost because they didn't play very well. And once again, they had chances with runners in scoring position. After all, Miami only used starting pitcher Adam Conley for three innings. He was on a very short leash because he was coming off the disabled list and no need to push him because... Miami is almost a, a lock to miss the playoffs, so the Mets did have that going for them. They still can't pull it out, and the media, which usually gives Mets too hard of a time for losing these type of games, uh, now they they give the Mets almost a, a complete pass because of the circumstances. And you know, it's it's not like there was really good fan support there, but it's not like Miami sold out the place. There was still very far from a sellout. There were still plenty of Mets fans, you could just see them on the SNY cameras in the lower bowl. So, so yeah, this loss is just as tough as any other loss. And if this, which it hopefully doesn't, if it leads to a couple more losses down in Miami, I just don't want to hear that this is why the Mets missed the postseason because the Marlins got this emotional boost from this tragic event. The Mets still control their own destiny, and hey, they got a break last night because the Cardinals were absolutely pummeled by the Reds, 15 to two. In hey, if that happened, <laughs> if that happened to the Mets, we know that they'd be hearing it. But but the Mets are still in front, thanks to the Reds bringing their A game and just crushing the Cardinals. So. We'll see how the narrative goes from here. I just thought it was interesting the way that everyone kind of pretended this was a storybook event and the Marlins were destined to win and that the Mets really had no chance on Monday night. But let's, let's be real. Monday night was a missed opportunity for the Mets. And fortunately, because of the Cardinals losing, they, the Mets still control their own destiny. And on Tuesday night... Hopefully they bounce back. I don't want to be hearing the continued narrative of the Marlins continuing to roll on this emotional event. So that's really all I have to say about that. This is really exciting. There's only five games left in the season. Mets, there's no reason the Mets shouldn't be able to win all five. They have a good team that's starting to hit a little bit. Even Jay Bruce is starting to hit, which is really good to see. As Ruben Cabrera, another big hit last night to put the Mets on the scoreboard in the fifth. So hopefully, and Lucas Duda with an RBI single. Him and Jay Bruce going the other way for their base hits in the eighth inning and almost starting a rally that that the Mets couldn't quite take advantage of. But uh, you have to like the Mets' chances going forward. And this is Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio. May Jose Fernandez rest in peace.
3: Hello, MUT fans. This is Lucas Vajos, and welcome to The Weekly Stat... As the Mets are wrapping up this win against the Marlins on Tuesday, the baseball world continues to mourn the loss of Jose Fernandez, a transcendent talent and, more importantly, a good, kind, and jovial person who is taken from us far too soon. Um, this is hardly a sentimental segment, and I'm hardly a sentimental person, uh, but even numbers can help us fondly... Uh, recollect those who have left us And I think that's especially true with baseball So to that effect I thought I'd take a look at How Jose Fernandez performed against the Mets Just so we can nod our heads In uh, remembrance of how just how dominant he was So Fernandez's stats against the Mets He started 8 games He pitched 47 innings at a 1.34 ERA he struck out 59 Mets, walked 17, ran a whip below one, and gave up one measly homer. And never in a million years would you guess who it was. It was John Buck during that absolutely torrid stretch he had at the start of the 2013 season. Uh, that was Fernandez's second career start against the Mets and only his fifth career start, period. Uh, but he hasn't given up a home run against the Mets since in six starts. I was also curious to see how he ranked uh, in terms of Mets abusers. We've certainly had plenty of pitchers who torture this team over the years. So I ran a play index search to pull up the best pitchers against the Mets. Uh, in terms of URA, Fernandez is second to only Clayton Kershaw, who is undoubtedly the best pitcher of this generation. In strikeouts per nine innings... Fernandez's 11.3 mark is sec- is third, rather, to Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer, both of whom are uh, elite-level pitchers in their own right. And in terms of OPS allowed, Fernandez trails only Kershaw again and Sandy Koufax, who is arguably the best pitcher of all time and tortured the Mets, Mets ceaselessly uh, during his time in the league. And that's some extraordinarily impressive company. Even if it's against many inept Met teams. Uh, one other thing I wanted to look at, and this is definitely the most, uh, imprecise and perhaps wishy-washy portion of this segment. Uh, but like I said, Fernandez has pitched 47, had pitched 47 innings against the Mets in his career, uh, out of a total of 471 innings. So about one-tenth of his career, uh, innings came against the Mets. Uh, by FanGraphs war, he's uh, accrued... I have to keep forcing myself to talk in the past tense, which is a little difficult. Um, he accrued 13.9 F4 in his brief career. Uh, so if we wanted to just divide the inning totals, we could say that one-tenth of Fernandez's career FR came against the Mets. Uh, and That would come out to, oh, about a win and a half. I'd argue, however, that given his level of dominance against the Mets, and he dominated everyone, but he was better against the Mets, uh, the Mets gave him a higher portion of his total war than the innings alone would tell you. Uh, I would say that he's got maybe an eighth of his total career war against the Mets, which comes out to... Uh, let me run the math again real quick here, about 1.7 wins. If you wanted to extrapolate his career, as many have tried to do, and make no doubt he was on his way to the Hall of Fame, he would have eventually accrued uh, roughly one-eighth of his total career war against Armets, which would have come out to uh, 10 wins or so. So... It's a shame that he's gone Uh, We probably all remember the many frustrations he gave us Both while we lamented having Brandon Nimmo instead of Jose Fernandez And while watching him dominate various Met teams But we can look back and appreciate just how special he was on the field Rest in peace Jose Fernandez And that is your weekly staff
5: Mets fans Greg Caram here along with Steve Saipa to once again talk about Mets prospects and the minor leagues in general uh, we have reached a point in the offseason of minor league baseball um, where it's a little there's nothing happening you know there's no there's no fall league yet uh, there's no lists yet there's just uh, nothing and it's a good thing as Mets fans because we have a playoff race to pay attention to and this hasn't always been the case in years past but so to keep uh relevant within uh, what's going on (laughs) with the the prospects uh we're going to talk about the prospects in the Mets system that are playing in the World Baseball Classic which is ongoing right now I think they're playing qualifiers and uh Steve here wrote a piece for the site today, Uh, we're recording on Monday, uh, talking about these guys. So, Steve, who is playing in the World Baseball Classic for the Mets, or of the Mets, who's playing in the World Baseball Classic?
6: Well, for the general roster, um, when the games actually start in um, March, for the rest of the world, I'm not sure about what the... Uh, Rosters are. I don't think that they've been released yet. But this weekend we had some qualifiers, and so we had uh, a couple of Mets guys. We had Champ Stewart, who is Bahamian, and as a result, he was uh, qualified to play on Team Great Britain.
5: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I wonder if. Uh, okay, no, that's interesting.
6: We had Blake Taylor, who apparently is of his uh, mother. I guess is of British descent, so he again qualifies for um team Great Britain. Jeez. Uh we had uh Tyler Heron who who was a mid season uh minor league free agent signing who is Jewish I guess. So he was <laughs> playing for Team Israel. <laughs> okay. And then finally we had Josh Zaid who again was another uh, minor league free agent signing this year who I'm Assuming is Jewish, was playing for Team Israel, and then they're not prospects or nothing. But the uh, late great Ike Davis and Josh Satin were also uh, parts of Team Israel. So
5: it seems like it doesn't take much to get on one of these
6: teams. No, I mean that's that's the uh, kind of fun thing with teams like this, where you have baseball is not really hasn't really taken root in the country or anything yet. So they kind of really have to grasp its straws to find players that are, you know, know the actual game. Yeah. I mean, Team Pakistan (laughs) was composed completely of, you know, cricket players. (laughs) I think the last World Baseball Classic, Fernando Martinez played for Team Spain because Spain once had an empire that, you know had uh, many nations in, in the Caribbean and that qualified him somehow. So, yeah. <laughs> well, so of these guys, um, Blake Taylor
5: kind of stands out a little bit. He had, He's the guy that we got in the Ike Davis trade, the player to be named later. And he was kind of exciting. He was a former, I think, second-round pick who was kind of a projectable lefty and ended up having Tommy John surgery after the Mets acquired him in I think twenty fourteen, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So and then he came back a little bit last year, only threw a few innings and then he came back again this year and only threw only had five appearances for eight innings. Eight eight and two thirds innings. So what do you think? There is do you think Blake Taylor still? Has, I mean, I'm caveating this. I have not seen him. I've seen like YouTube videos. That's it. But like, do you still think he's a prospect or what? Um.
6: Well, yes and no. I mean, he's still only 20, I think, or 21. 21. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's it's starting to get on the little bit on the older side based on where he's been. You know, Brooklyn and um, Kingsport but at the same time you know he lost some developmental time to Tommy John so you know he's he's still a little rough around the edges but it, uh, um listening to the to the uh, watching the game that he pitched um one of the announcers apparently said that down in Kingsport he's been hitting 94 95 which really it's is interesting uh be two for two reasons because You got a lefty, you know, hitting 94, 95, that's going to open some eyes automatically. Um, But also because last night, uh, I keep saying last night, that's when I watched the game. But um, when I was watching the game and and looking at his velocity readings, he's really sitting, you know, mid to high 80s, you know, one or two pitches over 90. So Mm. either it's a hot gun down in Kingsport where they supposedly got the readings or his mechanics, which were kind of out of sync all last night. Ugh. Although, <laughs> or his mechanics, which are all out of sync during his start. Where, um, where did you watch the game? Uh, it's available online. Oh, okay. Um, on World Baseball Classics website, which I think is. What is it? WorldBaseballClassics.com. Okay. Well,
5: what do you think about age and pitching prospects? You know, I, when you talk about hitting prospects, you know, being young for the level is always very important. Um but for me, I feel like age is not as important as it is for for batters. You know, you get a guy who figures it out a little later on, like it it's not really a knock on, you know, for me. As long as he's producing, I don't really care
6: how old he is for that level. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think with pitching it's kind of a little bit different because I mean, how often do we hear, you know, a high school pitcher you know, eighteen, nineteen, whatever. He's in his first year of ball, and he throws. You know, I mean, look at the two draft picks that the Mets selected this year, Cameron Plank and Mac Cleveland. They have you know live fastballs, all the potential in the world, but no breaking ball to speak of. You know, that's that's a kind of um commonish thing. Yeah. you know, down when you when you have players, pitchers that raw. So if you have a guy that you know is a little Little older, you know. Um, for whatever reason, is still at you know a kind of lower level. Yeah. I don't think it's that that terrible a thing.
5: No, I don't think so either. There's
6: still so much you know develop, development for everybody going on down there.
5: Right, and it's not like it's a reactionary thing where you for hitters you the, they're reacting to 90 mile an hour fastballs, whereas a pitcher it's more of a craft. Right. And I feel like uh, with age and time, that that's actually beneficial in, in a way. And I could see things kind of clicking a little later on for a pitcher than for a hitter. Um, so anyway, so that's interesting that Blake Taylor's pitching because I I kind of looked at his stat line. I mean, he had only five appearances, eight innings. I was like, okay, maybe he's not, he's not healthy. But if he's healthy enough to be throwing in this kind of extracurricular uh, tournament, then... That kind of bodes well. But moving on, um, Champ Stewart playing for Team Bohemia or Team Great Britain. <laughs> um, he made it to double A this year. He did not really hit too well there. He hit 201, 264, 261, struck out 36% of the time. Um, you know, when I was watching Binghamton, I I, I typically wasn't really paying attention to champ Stewart because I am not, I just, I can't get excited about it, but he did have 40 stolen bases this year. It's only six caught stealing. So, you know, maybe, maybe he could be the Mets, Terrence Gore, uh, next September or something like that. You know, like, I feel like that's, that might be his only path to the majors. What do you think?
6: Yeah, I mean, he, he has one tool. You know, let's face it; he has one tool. He has speed, and that's really that's about it. I mean, he's really not going to grow into much power. You know, his frame doesn't really look like he's going to grow into much power. No, he looks tiny. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know his he's a decent fielder. You know, at best, kind of relies more on his speed than anything else, and that maybe has stunted him as a fielder. You know, having to always Having to o- always, you know, have that speed to fall back on. Maybe you don't Sharpen learn those routes, route. right? Exactly. So, and the arm is, you know, whatever. But I mean, he's been in system for a few years now. He's he's rose up the ladder to the point where he is now, and his eye the plate is still just really bad. And you know, at this point, it's probably not gonna get good enough that, you know, he can be an effective, even kind of fourth outfielder, you know, he's always, if he ever makes it to the major leagues, he's always going to be that one role player kind of guy.
5: Yeah, yep. But, you know, hey, he's got that tool, so maybe he could, he could, I could see a scenario where he did make his major league debut without ever getting an at-bat, which, (laughs) you know, hey, that's, that's something
6: and he'll be remembered just like, you know, we'll always remember Juan Santino got that first uh court yeah. stealing for Billy Hamilton. Yeah, yep.
5: yep. And um so finally um I mean, I'm going to skip over Tyler Harron cuz he doesn't sound like much of a prospect, but uh, Yeah,
6: I mean, he's he's not. He's an older guy. For anyone that's interested, he throws, you know, in high 80s fastball uh change that doesn't have that much differential from the fastball and a curveball <laughs> that doesn't curve very much. <laughs>
5: well, uh, Josh Zeder or Zied or however you pronounce it, actually has played in the majors before as a reliever, and he's touched 96 as recently as two years ago. So I don't know if the Mets end up hanging on to him, but he's uh, he's a guy... Who maybe could potentially probably not, <laughs> you know, pitch out of the Mets bullpen? Though they have used him mostly as a starter. Do you have any opinion, any thoughts or opinions on Josh Seed?
6: Uh, I saw him in Trenton this year as a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not impressed. I'm pretty sure that that Trenton crushed Binghamton. Mm-hmm. I mean, many beers are consumed, so I really don't remember that <laughs> actual score, but. I think as a reliever, he works a little better. You know, he's working in relief in the World Baseball Classic, and obviously, um, the talent in the competition was not even up to par with Double A. But he looked a lot more effective. Um, his fastball, you know, is low to mid nineties, tops out a little bit higher uh his breaking balls that's that's i guess one of his weaknesses. weakness he doesn't really have a <laughs> an effective just, breaking ball, so a i mean problem. <laughs> yeah so that'll that'll you know make relieving that much more uh worth it for him yeah yeah so but, that
5: kind of limits the upside
6: there but so All he's, right. the kinda, he's the kind he's the kind of guy that if Omar was the GM right now, and the Mets are kind of panicking because there's five games left in the season, and we're tied in the wild card, would be called up to make some sort of emergency spot start. <laughs> Jesus.
5: <laughs> well, thankfully, we have uh, some seemingly some adults in charge, and uh, Josh Seed will not be seeing the major leagues this year. But uh, So there you have it. That's your topical... Uh, Mets prospect update for this week and I'd like to plug the email of the podcast if you guys want to send us an email please do so at podcast at amazing dot we will answer your questions to the best of our abilities and um, that's all you have for this week so we'll see you again next week
2: Welcome back to Forgotten Mets. I'm your host, Brian Renzi. For this crazy last week of the regular season, we have a truly unique player in Mets history. A statistical anomaly, a guy who got into a handful of games during the hectic September run of 1999 as the Mets fought for their playoff lives, including the last two games of the regular season, which were essentially play-ins to the playoffs. But even the most diehard of fans will be hard-pressed to recall him. Introducing once again the man who wasn't there Shane Halter Shane Halter appeared in 7 games in September of 99 for the Mets he's the only position player in team history to appear in at least one game and record zero statistics of any kind he had no plate appearances no putouts heck when he pinch ran 5 times he never even advanced safely to the next base not even once He is completely unique in these statistical regards. Even Chuck McElroy, veteran relief pitcher, played an inning in left field that same year and made a catch. Joe Hieptas played the only inning of his Major League career in a Mets uniform. In the last inning of the last day of the 2004 season, and notched two put-outs on Bartolome, Bartolome Fortunato strikeouts. But Shane Halter... No soup for you, my friend. After being a super utility player for the Royals for a couple of years, Halter was traded to us in the last week of spring training 1999 for rookie ball outfielder Jonathan Guzman, who never made it to the bigs. After a nondescript age 29 year at Norfolk, Halter got the token, the token call-up at the completion of the minor league season. He got into most of his games pinch running, but he did play an inning in center field, an inning at shortstop, and an inning, no, make that a third of an inning in right field. When pinch running, he stood in for Matt Franco twice, Bobby Bowe twice, and Mike Piazza, the new Hall of Famer, once. He represented the tying run in the late innings of tight games three times, never to score, never to advance. And he was also the would-be go-ahead run in dramatic game 161, which was a must-win against the Pirates in order to keep playoff dreams alive. We can assume that he did indeed at least get his uniform dirty twice, as he was the lead runner out on a double play to end one of the above-mentioned games, and with the game tied in recently mentioned contest number 161, he was forced out at second to end the eighth, before Sean Dunstan's RBI single won it in extras to keep the dream alive for another day. In fateful game 162, essentially a play-in to make the play-in, Halter came in during the top of the ninth inning in a double switch with two outs, and was set to be the leadoff hitter in the bottom half of the ninth, with the game tied at one. But Bobby Bowe, cashing Mets checks then, as he is now, strode to the plate for a routine groundout. Unheralded Melvin Mora came up next and got the winning rally started instead with a base hit, uh, in which which saw him eventually circle the bases, coming home on a wild pitch with Mike Piazza at the plate. Halter obviously did not make the postseason roster that season that year, and was claimed off waivers by the Tigers next spring. On the last day of that season,
3: in the year two thousand.
2: He played every position on the diamond, a precursor to Will Farrell in that feat, and Halter actually became one of only four players in Major League history to accomplish that. Oddly enough, one of them was the same year. Scott Sheldon of the Rangers had done it a few weeks earlier. Guess it was a slow year on the promotion schedule. The year after, in 2001, Halter had his best year of his career, logging at a 284 average and an 811 OPS over 507 plate appearances. One thing's for sure about Shane Halter if he was on this year's Mets, Terry Collins would have found him some at bats. This has been Forgotten Mets. I'm Brian Renzi, and we'll catch you next time down hazy memory lane.
1: This should be one of my Wednesday bad news updates because Mets is now done for the season and Flores probably is. But you know what? There are four games left in the season and the Mets are half a game up. And I think they're going to do it. I think we are so close. And they played the Marlins and the Phillies and I don't know that they're going to lose enough. And I really think they're going to finally do this. That is the first time that I 100% believe it, that I've been pretending this whole season. But I think the Mets are going to make the wild card game. I don't know who they're going to face. The Cardinals and Giants are both struggling. will be very nice today. They're struggling at best. I think the Mets are going to do it. Jay Bruce suddenly looked good last night It was very strange I was watching at work and I didn't know what I was seeing But it happened Lucas Duda is back and is looking good If he actually gets some playing time over Dear friend James Loney And The mess just have to Ride out the season It feels ridiculous, I can't believe we're here But they're, they're right there They just have to not screw this up And I probably jinxed it right then
4: Folks, that does it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Um, you can follow all of our contributors that were on the show today on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Steve Schreiber is at underscore Mr. Met. Steve Saipa is at Steve Saipa. Greg Karam is at Greg Karam. Kate Feldman is at Kate E. Feldman. Aaron York is at APY5000. And Lucas Vlahos is at LVlahos343. Oh, and Brian Renzi is at BRENS78. Sorry, Brian. Didn't mean to almost forget you there. Um, you can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, your podcatcher of choice. Please rate, review, and subscribe in that podcatcher. Uh, please go to amazonavenue.com. This is uh, the best time to be reading the site, in my opinion, because we have a lot of content about the uh, upcoming, hopefully, playoff game and the postseason, a lot of great analysis. And more. So check us out at AmazingAvenue.com. You can also find Amazing Avenue on all relevant social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Amazing Avenue. You can download the show directly from BlogTalkRadio.com. And uh, I think that's just about all I have to say. So I promise we'll be back in full strength next week. And hopefully we'll be talking about um, you know a playoff game. I don't know what our release schedule is going to be like next week. Maybe we'll do an earlier show. Uh, before the wild card game i really don't know we'll figure something out though we'll be there with you through this entire weird uh rush to the postseason and postseason hopefully so until next time let's go mets